seed and crop protection giant Corteva has made some big changes to their digital offerings, notably getting out of Granular's software as a service business. Vice President of Agricultural Solutions Brian Lutz says these moves aren't a sign of stepping away from digital, but a refocus of where they invest. We're talking about digital differently. And some have taken that to mean, well, hey, we're pulling back from digital, which is absolutely isn't the case. It's actually that we're we're investing more. It's just in different ways. Brian points to opportunities from product development to positioning to supply chain, where they can leverage digital capabilities to better serve farmer customers. We know that plots don't represent the full extent of the real world. So the more that we can understand how products perform under a wider range of conditions simply means that we can help farmers get the right products on the right acres, which benefits everybody. He says he's more excited than ever about the future of digital farming, but thinks the impact will be felt in the products farmers need rather than another software as a service tool. When we can tie together the real world performance data of products with our product development, I think we're, we're poised to create a tremendous amount of new value for farmers. Brian Lutz shares how Corteva has shifted their digital strategy on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerd. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Well, looking forward to sharing today's episode with you. But before we dive right into that, I want to take just a moment to thank our quarterly presenting sponsor, which this quarter is Calgary Economic Development. Now, what makes Calgary, Alberta, the engine of Canada's agriculture industry? Well, with direct access to a strong agricultural base, Calgary is a well-connected region with collaboration across geographic areas, industries, and research and training institutions. Calgary has experts in all things ag, including primary production, crop science, protein development, ag and food tech innovation, and animal health. It's also a hub for controlled environment agriculture, energy transition opportunities, and value-added food and beverage processing. Calgary is a hotspot for agri-food production and technology development, which is why multinational agribusiness leaders call the city home. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of today's episode for a spotlight segment on Replenish Nutrients, which is based in the Calgary area. We're going to talk to their CEO, Neil Weens. In Calgary, they're leading the agribusiness revolution, and you are welcome to join. Visit calgaryagbusiness.com to learn more. That's calgaryagbusiness.com. Thank you so much to Calgary for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. All right, now back to today's episode with Brian Lutz. Brian leads the farming solutions and digital subfunction within the research and development organization for Corteva AgriScience. In his role, he's responsible for the development of digital solutions that support the R&D pipeline and enable Corteva's business. Brian joined Corteva just a couple years ago in 2021 in the portfolio strategy program management role and continues to contribute to the company's long-term strategic planning. In today's episode, Brian and I talk about the role of digital tools in the future of agriculture. And no, we're not going to talk about another app or another piece of software that farmers are expected to use, but instead how a company like Corteva can leverage these types of tools internally to produce superior products and better outcomes for farmers. Through this discussion, we end up covering quite a variety of important topics like farmer data, uh, biologicals, uh, artificial intelligence, and more. 
Now, prior to starting at Corteva, Brian was the chief science officer at the Climate Corporation and was also a member of Bayer Crop Sciences R&D leadership team. Brian was raised on a fourth generation corn and soybean farm in Ohio and remains closely connected to his family's farming operation there. That's exactly where I'll drop you into today's conversation with Corteva Vice President of Ag Solutions, Brian Lutz. You know, I grew up farming in Ohio. My family's got a fourth generation corn and soy farm over there. You know, when I when I grew up around farming, nothing was digital, right? I mean, everything was old school equipment. And then I left uh, left the farm for about a dozen years. And when I came back, everything was, you know, mapping, yield monitors. We saw really a lot of data being collected. And it was it was amazing at how transformational the role of data was having and how we chose to run the farm. You know, I think uh, when we look at what's happening within the the sort of ag tech and startup space and the digital farming landscape, a lot of the value proposition out of the gate was, well, let's really use digital tools to change how farmers farm. And what we're what we're increasingly realizing is that there's a lot of opportunity to use data and digital tools to change how we serve farmers, to change how we deliver them value through our seed and crop protection products. And that's really, been the core driver of a lot of what we've been doing at Corteva and the changes that we've been making. And so to that end, you know, we, we've exited our software as a service business. So no longer are we trying to develop applications that, uh, you know, we're trying to get subscription revenue for from our farmer customers. And instead, what we're really doing is we're focused on how do we work with our customers on our data so that we can, one, help get them the right products to perform best on their their operations, but then two, how can we adapt the way that we do business with them so that we can make sure we get those products to them and also develop the next generation of new, higher performing and value-added products. Right, right. What's that look like from a customer standpoint? So if I'm a customer and Corteva is better serving me now because they're using you know digital and data, what's that look like for me? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, you know, and I think this is something that actually resonates with a lot of farmers. And I'll give you a sort of a personal example is, you know, as an industry, we've long used things like demonstration plots and, you know, seed plots to work with our customers to show them the value of products, right? And that's, for example, where you plant a bunch of different uh, seed products side by side, and you can take those data to customers and show them, you know, hey, what, which are the better performing ones? You know, that worked great for the first, you know, several decades of the industry when we were selling seed and when we didn't have data coming off of farms. But increasingly, your farmers say, well, the plots are great, but they don't really represent my fields, right? And so, as you know, we we realize we can see performance in different ways when products are planted across all types of yield environments and all types of management practices. And so, by working with our customers and their data, we can really help figure out what are the best products for their fields. So to that end, you know, as we've as we've been doing more and more of this, for example, we've been able to show that we can find our best seed products for their fields about 74% of the time. Uh, with corn, we're, you know, able to increase their yields by four to five bushels per acre by helping them get the right product. And so that's just a, a really concrete example of how we're helping drive more value for them with data. Yeah. What were you hearing or seeing that, that drove you in that direction? Because I could see where a more cynical listener would say, okay, so now instead of giving me the tools so that I could use my own data in my own way, you're not giving me the tools and you're kind of doing that for me. And I don't see what's kind of behind the black box. You know what I mean? So what, what were you hearing that made them think like, no, actually, this is, this is actually the future rather than the past. 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. And it's not an either or, and it's not a black box, right? And so even as we've been making some of the changes, we've not changed anything when it comes to the tools that we're providing for farmers to be able to see the patterns and performance in, in their data. And a lot of them, again, I, I believe most of the, the data interaction actually happens in the cab, right? You're sitting in the combine for hours, you're watching the yield monitor, you're really understanding how things perform there. You know, we're just focusing on which tools we're building. And l- let me give you an example, right? So if you look back at all of the different uh, types of software and, and apps and tools that have been built for farmers, you hear things like, well, let us help you figure out which field to harvest first, right? Based on things like harvest moisture, or, you know, some have gone so far as to say, well, you know, maybe we can, we can help you decide if you need to buy another combine or if you need to upgrade equipment or those are all things that really have nothing to do with, let's say, seed and crop protection performance, which is core to our business, right? So more than anything, it's not about taking any tools away. It's about focusing on which tools we're offering because some of the other other types of, of offers just really weren't around delivering value through seed and crop protection products. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I never ask any guest to speak negatively about competition. I bet even if I asked, you probably wouldn't. But it does help to draw some comparisons of how does this give you a unique advantage over the competition using data and digital in this way. Could you talk about that and then just use kind of the comparison more generally? Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, I think that this is a pretty general and broadly applicable statement, but especially with the amount of funding that has flowed into what, you know, has come to be known as uh, the digital farming space. Again, much of that has been separate or standalone from core businesses, right? So even ourselves, right? When Corteva had acquired Granular, it was operated as a as an independent and separate entity. Again, really focused on how do you deliver software that can help farmers make different decisions. The changes that we're making are are quite different where we're bringing all of this together. So for example, we've got data scientists that are trying to understand how do products perform under real world conditions across farm operations. They're working side by side uh, with our data scientists that are working on the next generation of seed and crop protection products. And so I think that's one of the biggest differentiators and, and advantages that we have relative to the competition is we've kind of brought this all under one roof. And so we're really just thinking about how do you maximize the value of seed and crop protection? And that's all the way from placing the products that we have in the market today to influencing what will be the products of the future. Mm-hmm. And, and is this in some ways sort of a, a return to the core business? You know, it almost seems like you all were, you know, seed and crop protection and then say, well, maybe we do want to be in this game of providing these software tools. And now it's like, no, actually our business is seed and crop protection, but we can utilize them to to be better at that. Am I reading that correctly? That's true. And, and um, you know, and again, a lot of that relates to the learnings that we've had across the industry over the last, you know, decade plus, as we've seen a lot of this venture capital money come in to, to support digital farming is we just really, again, haven't quite seen the, you know, the level of adoption or uptake. And I would say that, you know, a lot of that is that farmers are really using their data. It's just that farmers in many cases aren't spending hours and hours with digital tools, being their own data scientists, you know, trying to dive into a lot of these things. And so even to your other question where, you know, we're not taking any of those tools away, but what we are trying to do is to make it so that we can help them find the important insights quickly that really influence the decisions that get the best product on the right acres. 
and and of course, you know, they can they can spend as much time with their data as they would want looking at the the patterns of performance, but we're just trying to help find the important results more quickly. Right. Right. Well, you being from a farm family, you know, I'm sure you have heard the concerns that that exists out there about like, you know, the agribusiness having all the data and all the leverage and and kind of using it in ways that capture more value to the agribusiness instead of the farmer. How do you answer those types of concerns in your current capacity? Yeah, I mean, we certainly hold to all of the principles that I think have become well established across the industry, which is farmers own their data. You know, we're just trying to help them find the important results in their data and and leverage their data to drive more value for their operations. So that's first and foremost. But the other thing that I would say is, you know, and I draw analogy to sort of how digital has changed a lot of our day-to-day lives, which is it's made performance and value very transparent, right? So for example, you know, farmers are using their yield monitors and digital tools to let's say test seed products side by side at scales really never possible before. And so when performance is that transparent, it's very easy for customers to see are they getting value for the products they're using? I believe that, you know, in this way, digital tools and data are are actually putting more power in the position of farmers to be able to, you know, really, really drive towards the value of their investments. Um, All we're simply trying to do is to help demonstrate that our products add more value than the competition, but they can always sort of test us or measure that, right? Yeah. When you're out there making the case for for digital farming, you know, obviously it'd be easy to point to failed startups or or big uh, hype or promises that didn't go fulfilled. But um, I think underneath all of that boom and bust, there there's some real progress that's being made. What do you like to point to to show people that, you know, digital farming actually has improved the ability for a farmer to do business and to make money? Yeah, no. So I actually do believe that um, when we talk about digital, it's been one of the biggest, I think, transformative technologies for the productivity of farms. Again, let me use our farm at home as a as an example. Like I mentioned, I, I grew up farming, left for a while, came back to farming. And when you're away for a little while, and especially during these years where you see digital adoption, you can really see how it changes the way that farmers make decisions. So an example I point to is when I was a kid, you know, we planted usually one or two seed brands, maybe three or four corn hybrids. Uh, when I went back to farming and when we had yield monitors and could test things, we were planting four or five brands, anywhere from 12 to 15 hybrids. Uh, we were able to see side-by-side performance transparently in ways not possible before. You know, I think sometimes we as an industry say, well, when is digital really going to have these sort of profound impacts on on agriculture? I think it's already happening, right? And then that brings us back to sort of the second point, which is, you know, it's not just about focusing on the farmer and the decisions they're making, but it's also how can we use all of this data and these capabilities to change how we serve them, right? And so this goes back to, you know, the plot data. I mean, we know that plots don't represent the full extent of the real world. So the more that we can understand how products perform under a wider range of conditions simply means that we can help farmers get the right products on the right acres, which benefits everybody. Right. Well, I think the plot data is a good example. Are there any other examples of, of from your vantage point, you're looking within the company, you know, and saying, how can Corteva better serve farmers, knowing what we now know about, you know, digital tools? Uh, what else has your attention for areas of focus? Yeah, no, great question. So uh, another really concrete example just from this year, 
you know, my brother last year, his best yielding corn hybrid was a Pioneer product. And it actually, it, it was just an outstanding product. It was the first year he planted it. He planted it side by side against a couple of other products. And it was in some cases outperforming by as much as 20 bushels per acre in his fields. And it was the product he wanted the most of this year. Now, unfortunately, that product really wasn't performing that well in his region. Um, and when we look at all the plot data, it was actually maybe running just about average or slightly below average. This happens all the time where for whatever reason, it could be local soil conditions, it can be management practices, but for whatever reason, that product was an outstanding product for my brother. We as a company missed it, right? And so it wasn't in his local inventory to buy this year. It's just another example of how it's not just performance and product positioning, but it also goes all the way back into how we manage our supply and our, our product lineup for different customers. There's, there's almost no farmer that I know that can't tell you a story about a product that they love that for whatever reason, you know, it was uh, retired from the market. It worked great for them, but maybe it wasn't working great for everybody else. But these are examples of how when we really become much more data driven, we can make much more individualized decisions for customers. There's no reason why if we know an outstanding product works for one of our customers, we can't do more to to make sure that we're we're doing everything we can to get each customer the products that they want. Yeah. What what type of data points can you look to in a situation like that? Like why would this be so drastically different for him versus so many other people in the area? You know, how do you sort of uh, run the the diagnostics on that and figure that out? And, and is it going to take improved, you know, sort of data infrastructure in the future to make that happen? It is. Um, it is going to take improved infrastructure. But that's where, you know, a lot of the investments that have been made, you know, it's it's laying the data foundation to pursue these types of opportunities. You know, as for why that happens, I mean, this is this is what I think farmers actually know better than anyone, which is. There are so many variables that go into the performance that's ultimately achieved. And we know that local conditions and, and again, individualized decisions around management practices have a big effect on, on the outcome. We're just at a unique opportunity from an industry perspective where, again, we don't necessarily need to treat all customers in a region the same way, right? When we are able to pick up on the signals that... Uh, you know, a product's performing particularly well for a particular customer. We can do everything we can to make sure we're getting that product for that customer uh, in the future. So some examples of, of how we do that, you know, we can use things like satellite imagery even to understand which products are performing really well in season, even before harvest. The earlier we can get those signals that a product is doing particularly well, the more opportunity we have to start to influence our decisions about where do we move our inventory? How do we influence things like the demand signal? Something that uh, you know a lot of people don't realize how complex some of this is, but uh, you know we're producing the parent seed this year for the products that we're going to be selling actually two years from now. And so the sooner we can get those signals about what's doing well, the more that we can react to those, uh, so we can we can make sure we get the products that our customers need. Right. How about changes in the way? farmers want to purchase and interact at the retail level. How does that impact a company like Corteva talking about things like, you know, buying online or, you know, just any changes to the buying patterns and habits of the end user customer? So from our perspective, we want to serve customers the way that they want to be served. Right. But I, I break it down into to two things. One is what's the value of 
the products that you're delivering. And that I really put under the value of innovation, right? So, you know, let's say the the value of our our seed and crop protection products, you know, that's independent of how how they're sold. So we focus very much on how we drive new innovation. So we drive new product value. But then once we have the products, we really want to, you know, get them to customers in the way that they want to be served. And so we're constantly monitoring things like e-commerce and and some of these uh, other ways of buying. Right now, I'd say that by and large, there's not been a tremendous amount of customer interest in in making some large changes in the way that uh, products are bought. But it's it's something that I expect will continue to evolve over time, just like any other sector of society where, you know, sometimes it takes time for these things to uh, take root and drive change. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, we certainly come a long way specifically with, with obviously the chemistry behind farming, but also the genetics and the management practices. When you look at the type of equipment that farmers use in today versus decades ago, a lot of the biology though, still seems to be a mystery, not just in terms of like the, the research and development, but also in terms of how do we collect data on it, right? How do we efficiently at scale collect data on it? What's Corteva's uh, focus in that area, if anything, and kind of where do you see the future where biology and, and digital sort of intersect more directly? Yep. This is one of the most exciting areas, I think, that we have in front of us and even more of a reason why when we can tie together the real world performance data of products with our product development, I think we're we're poised to create a tremendous amount of new value for farmers. So some of the areas that I point to you know, gene editing is a, a pretty remarkable tool, right? The way I say it is that as an industry, we for a century now have been selling seed that really we we develop through selection. So we cross a bunch of seed and we make new seedlings. And then from those, we select the few that do better than the parent generation. It's really a, a game of random recombination by definition, right? With gene editing, we can be much more intentional. So we can move from selection to design. But the challenge with gene editing is that while we now have the tools to start to design these new products, it really hinges on the information that we have. In other words, what are we trying to design for? And this is why it's ever more important that we understand how our products are performing under a broad range of conditions, because that's going to inform what we're designing too. Another example is um, over the last couple of decades, the industry has invested extremely heavily in things like genomic and DNA sequencing. The human genome was sequenced over the period from 1990 to 2003, and the, the human genome sequencing project cost about $3 billion. We can now sequence a genome for a couple hundred bucks in a few hours. We have so much genetic data that what we really need next is the performance data. Because again, when you look at performance data across just our, our ability to run internal trials or plots, it's just a limited subset of the world. So the more real world performance data we get, that helps us then design the next uh, generation of products. And it's really not just about seed. In this case, we're applying so many of the same tools to crop protection. As you move from synthetic molecules and small molecules, those will always have a very important role to play in and crop protection, but increasingly we're looking at biologicals, which, you know, the molecules, the types of chemistry that uh, we really focus on with biologicals is much more like the biomolecules in plants. And so we can use sequencing and design very much the same way when we look at biologicals as we do our design for seed. 
Right. And it strikes me that, you know, a company like Corteva, your core business of seed and crop protection, in, in my view, is likely not to be, you know, eliminated by some digital technology coming up. But the bigger threat is probably people leveraging digital technology to better provide seed and crop protection than you can. Um, as you look to the future of agriculture, where do you see the most potential for disruption? And uh, I'm going to ask you to say whether you see that as a, a risk or an opportunity for Corteva. Yeah, I mean, so one is, uh, I feel very good about the position that we have as Corteva, right? There's been a lot of consolidation across the industry, but Corteva really has emerged as, you know, the only multinational seed and chemistry company that's solely focused on agriculture and farmers. And so with that, I would say that we're very focused on going back to this piece of it all stems from what value can you drive for farmers? We're just very focused on on agriculture and farming. With that said, though, you know, these technologies, especially things like gene editing, you know, they're lowering the barriers of entry. They're, in other words, letting us create and invent things newer and faster, which means that others could create things newer and faster. You know, that's something that I welcome because I very much believe in in competition and, you know, that we should all be competing to deliver value for farmers. I feel very good, though, about our position in that it's the level of focus that we have and that it's also that you know, we're making really clear and large investments in our R&D pipeline and these capabilities so that we're staying at the forefront of things like gene editing and data and computation so that we can drive this next wave of innovation. Well, we've gone this long without mentioning artificial intelligence, so I'm going to call that a win. But it is definitely the uh, the topic of 2023 from where I stand in ag tech uh, or just tech in general. How are you approaching artificial intelligence at this point? And how significant is that to where you go in the future? Yeah. And this is where too, I mean, it just underscores that um, we are talking about digital differently than everybody else in the industry. And some have taken that to mean, well, hey, we're pulling back from digital, which absolutely isn't the case. It's actually that we're we're investing more. It's just in different ways. And digital really cuts through everything. and then And then our use of AI does as well. Let me give you a few examples. You know, we have one of the the world's largest fleets of imaging drones. You know, last year our our commercial and R and D teams partnered on over twenty five thousand drone flights. We can measure over one hundred and seventy five different attributes of our crops when they're growing out in the field. All that imagery is being processed through artificial intelligence models, so that we can turn that imagery into actual measurements of plant performance. We also are doing things like uh, proximal phenotyping, which is just another way of saying, you know, people are carrying cameras and sensors uh, and we've got rovers that are moving cameras and sensors through fields so that we're collecting extremely high detailed data on our plants up close. Again, all of that's driven by AI models that are turning uh, those signals into actual measurements and then decisions about our products and what we advance. You know, when you think about things like uh, I was even mentioning gene editing and some of our biomolecule development, we hear so much today about things like generative AI and large language models. If you think about those models, they're really just taking strings of text and we're trained the model so that they can give you answers back to questions. If you think about DNA, it's just strings of information. And when you put that all together, it folds and makes things like proteins or new biomolecules. So we're actually using very similar types of models as ChatGPT to design proteins. 
And so it really cuts through everything we do. AI is, um, is ingrained into the entire R&D process. Well, when we have this conversation again in a decade from now, you know, what do you think we'll be talking a lot more about or talking a lot less about when it comes to digital agriculture? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, and, and this kind of goes to the pivot that we've been making at Corteva. And I think that the direction that the industry ultimately needs to go is we've talked about digital agriculture a little bit too much for digital sake and not enough for the value that we're really delivering to farmers. I think everybody can see this abundantly clearly now is there's been a tremendous amount of investment, again, from startup and venture capital in digital farming over the last decade or decade and a half. And I think a lot of people are asking themselves, well, what really has that given us, right? I think that when we look at these tools and the businesses that have applied these successfully, they're really delivering value for customers. An analogy that I give, right, is, I mean, Amazon does not talk to customers about, you know, how they're using data and analytics to get the right products in the right warehouses so they can be shipped on time and cheap and conveniently and at very affordable prices to customers. What they're really just talking about is, did you get what you wanted and were you happy with it? And and that's where we need to go as an industry as well is, I think the proof is really in the pudding. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for digital and data and data science to drive sort of unprecedented waves of value to the farm gate. I think in a decade, we'll look back and say, you know, just like we do at former technologies, like the evolution of GMOs and hybrids themselves and crop protection, you look back over time and you you think about how remarkable the innovation has been. I think in 10 years, we look back and we say, you know, without data, without individualized recommendations, without bringing that information back into the innovation cycle to develop all of these new products, we wouldn't be where we are. So I'm, I'm very excited about what the future holds. And a lot of it's going to be driven by digital, just not in the, the ways that we oftentimes speak. Well, a lot of strong points there. Thank you very much to Brian Lutz for joining me for this interview. I think their strategy over at Corteva makes a ton of sense to me, and I would love to hear your feedback. You can let me know on Twitter at Tim Hamrich. LinkedIn DMs, Tim at aggrad.com. You take your pick. Would love to hear your feedback on today's episode. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the coming years. I've really been enjoying the recent episodes we've been doing on farm data, kind of different spins on it every single week, but kind of a cohesive look at what, what's happening in farm data. As you might recall, we talked to early stage startup Soil Tech Wireless, then university professor Dr. Aaron Smith, then someone in the nonprofit side, Jeremy Wilson at Ag Gateway, and now, of course, Brian at a large corporate agribusiness. We're going to continue this exploration for one more week as I bring back onto the show Randy. Andy Barker from Intent. Uh, he'll be on the show next week. I do believe we're in the midst of an AI revolution, so to speak, and it's going to be powered by data. So I think these conversations about farm data really are more relevant than ever. But for now, we're going to turn our attention to today's Spotlight segment. Joining me is Replenish Nutrient CEO and CTO, Neil Weens. Neil describes Replenish as a, quote, unique biology-driven regenerative fertilizer. I wanted to find out exactly what that meant, and I asked him to start off by giving us a little bit of the genesis of both the product and the company. 
Yeah, so basically my background is animal nutrition. I really do focus on a population of microbes and whether it's in, in the gut biome of a cow or whether it's in the gut biome of a soil, I think it really looks the same. And that's where I've just been focusing that difference over the years versus just typical agronomy. You know, if you think about the world's largest feedlot, it physically exists in your top six inches of soil. And we have millions and trillions of little microbes that are all sitting in there and they have to work together. And if we got one of them that gets sick, what do you think happens? And so if we start thinking of things that way, that's how I came up with these uh, scenarios. So what we've been doing traditionally, and that's, this is all it is. I mean, I grew up as that kid who asked why. At 52 now, I'm still asking why. And, you know, dad used and grandpa used uh, chemical fertilizer, and we're still using the same blends of herbs and spices uh, 50 years later. Everything else in agriculture has changed. So that really became the background of why are we doing this? There's got to be something better. And so where we came into the thought process of the replenished products, in particular Rebuilder, was more just looking at the phosphate production and how it's done chemically versus how we can do it uh, microbially. And it just came into a real clear vision that why are we taking all these nutrients that are locked into that rock phosphate at the time of the chemical situation and thrown away and discarded? And instead of that, why don't we use the calcium, the magnesium, the iron, copper, so on and so forth, that's actually already in that rock, put it all into one great big uh, balanced diet for the microbes slash plants and uh, see what happens. And so then uh, bring us up to today. Where's the company at today as far as focus and size and growth? And uh, just kind of give us a snapshot of, of what the company looks like today. Yeah, we're into uh, year five. I uh, went from a private company uh, to becoming uh, a public company here approximately two years ago. I'm the largest shareholder of that, uh, along with our, my partners. So we have fun with it, but I'm learning a lot on the public side, which is interesting. But uh, where is it at today? We're at uh, last year, we did 17 million in revenue, uh, sold around uh, 35,000 tons of product. So ultimately had a variety of uh, good reception on this. We're into four or five years worth of efficacy trials on top of actually getting into the commercial space. Wow. And uh, talk to us, you know, the show is called Future of Agriculture. So talk to us about the potential here. What potential do can products like this have to to displace sort of the old way, quote unquote? And uh, what does that mean for for how agriculture looks in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, the way we started looking at this, it goes back even to the biosol days, but into these products is every product that I've been developing is to make life easier for the farmer, you know, easier slash better. So, um, you know, that old adage is uh, logistics trumps agronomy. In this case, it's logistics is agronomy. Uh, so we were able to physically get products on in fall application where they are in a mineral form where they don't become available to the plant until you actually have bioactive soils, which is when shockingly the plant is growing. So we don't have that runoff problem that happens in the spring. So whether it's the sol elemental sulfur, whether it's the rock phosphate, these things are inert in, in theory until you have that high microbial load. 
So, you know, future of agriculture wise, what we end up seeing is that farmers, instead of pulling these great big 1100 or 1200 bushel carts and trying to do one pass and, and get everything done and only doing 40 or 60 acres at a time, suddenly we're able to take two to three of the big macronutrients out of the tank, get them onto the farmer's field, balance that diet at least in those pieces of the pie and then let the farmer play with his um, seeding rates during spring and instead of going 60 acres in one shot he's now going 100 to 120 acres because all he's worried about is some starter foss and some uh, nitrogen application excellent and have you always been located in Calgary? And can you just talk a little bit about the importance of the area? Yeah, uh, we're just outside of Calgary in a spot um, called Okotoks. That's where our head office is. Our main facility is actually located just outside of northeast Calgary in a little town in Bicycler. And uh, the whole importance of this is, I mean, we live in one of the most gorgeous parts of the world. The backyard exists of these majestic mountains and uh, the other side allows me to still be that prairie boy and look out to the plains. Awesome. Great. Well, Neil, what else would you want to share in a short segment about what Replenish is doing? Uh, yeah, basically we're, like I say, balancing the diet, feeding microbes, which in turn uh, feeds the plants. You know, really cool things happen with that. And I like to analogize, whereas if you or I uh, have one or two specific bugs that hits our system, what's the first thing that happens to us? We're probably heading to the nearest washer. <laughs> for lack of a better, uh, better explanation, right? So if we eat well, we feel well and, and we can fight off infestation, it is exactly the same in soils. And we've been seeing this now over this four years of doing this. So not only are we getting good yield results and good plant results, but what we're seeing is a decreased pressure in the pesticide use, fungicide use, just everything else that comes along. Because you have the good microbes are able to battle off the bad microbes and they live in this nice little harmony side. All right, well, thank you to Neil Weens of Replenish Nutrients for taking the time for this week's company spotlight. Learn more about them over at replenishnutrients.com. And also thanks again to Calgary Economic Development for not only sponsoring this quarter of the podcast, but also providing this intro to Neil. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for your time and for your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.